Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are continuing where we left off. It's 2-26-2023, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and the thought of the week starts with a phrase taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And the phrase is that, when you follow the ways of this world, a spiritual death, we were not unique. All of us follow the ways of this world to the extent that our hopes, desires, and dreams were bound up in this world. As those born in Adam, we are born fallen. This physical world is also not in its original perfect state. It has fallen. However, in this phrase, more is described about our state of spiritual death. The world or cosmos, as it is in Greek, is an organized system of things. This system has ways in which it operates. These ways are not God's ways and designs. They belong to Satan. Since we are born already lost, there is no objective to make us lost, but simply to keep us from being saved. It is a godless world a world where arrogance is the order of the day. A quote from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 reads thus, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. This world stands in direct opposition to the Father's plan. There is no doubt that we need our minds transformed because all we learned before we were saved is hostile to God. Therefore, we have the counsel, quote, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's taken from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. For commentary, I'd like to go back and read several verses from the beginning of Ephesians 2 to emphasize the context of what is being said. And it says, As for you, you were dead in the transgressions and in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. This bad news, I think, is so bad and probably worse than we ever imagined. Many people think they did something bad to deserve the wrath of God and became law, but that's not what God's perspective is. In God's word, scripture, it's described so clearly for a reason, because it's his standard, and it's his plan for salvation. It's his eternal plan for the church as well. We need to understand things from God's perspective, and this includes the bad news as well as the good news, which is the gospel. They are paired like two sides of the same coin. Learn both sides. As in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth, Jesus prays. Your word is truth. 
And we need the truth about both sides of that coin. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. And I'll turn it over to Fred for prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, at this time, um, entertaining prayer requests and your special prayer requests. Okay, at this yeah, time, I just, I'm sorry, do I, uh, do I go right ahead? Um, pray for Deborah, she is very ill. And um, also pray for her father, who is, who is also overcoming treatment from his uh, cancer and helping his health is restored. Okay. So at this time, let us take this to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity of worship and another opportunity, Lord, to come to you. Lord, thanking you, Lord, for an opportunity, Lord, to serve a sovereign God who from eternity past, Lord, has devised a plan with instructions of righteousness and from eternity past, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your grace that which eternity past, Lord, you designed uh, a plan, Lord, for humankind and going forward, Lord, you devised a plan that had no beginning, Lord, you were here before there was time. Thanking you, Lord, uh, for watching over us and keeping us as we gone through the week, and again, bringing us to this point, asking, Lord, that you, if we have erred and gone out of the Spirit, asking for forgiveness, Lord, for our sins. Also asking, Lord, that you would bless this church, the word is truth, and the word of truth, church, and all its members and both churches that you would continue to bless us and keep us as we continue to grow, Lord, that we might honor the Spirit and have some humility to go forward, Lord, so that our minds might be transformed from the status that we were built, that we were born in, that we might glorify the Lord and continue, Lord, to walk in the way you would have us to walk. Asking, Lord, for special prayer, Lord, for Deborah. You know her problems. You know her need. Asking you to come by and see about her, as well as her father, who is overcoming the cancer treatment, Lord, that was essential. Asking that you bless them and continue to keep them. Asking the Lord for prayer for my Aunt Mary, who is in hospice care, and her family as they undergo this very difficult time. Uh, asking you, Lord, to just come by and see about them. Uh, asking for prayer for uh, my sister, uh, Gail Haddon and Kenny, her family, as you know their needs. Lord, and they 
they continue to go through difficult health issues. Also, Lord, uh, remembering uh, my sister-in-law, Deborah, who is getting ready to undergo back surgery, Lord, that you would instruct the doctors, Lord, that are going to heal and, and, and solve the problem asking that you would guide the doctor's hands that they would that the operation may be successful uh, before i close this prayer lord also asking for continued prayers for the pastor that as we prepare this very as he prepares this very important book uh, that deals with the basics lord that this world is a dying world they need so desperately as uh, you have said that God so loved the world that we might remember that God loves the world and he loves the people in the world and that, that he, his prayer is that they all would come to a saving knowledge praying Lord that people would have the opportunity to read this book to give it a fair hearing and thereby receive the gospel, the saving work of Christ. All his blessings, Lord, we ask in Christ's precious name who paid the penalty for our sins. In Christ's loving name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dwight. We appreciate that. Uh, we are getting right to to Galatians today. We're, we're in the book of Galatians. Uh, we're in chapter 1, verse, uh, I believe, 18, but we'll get to that. You should have notes. And uh, in your notes, <clears throat> as we launch out into Galatians chapter 1, our hope is to be familiar with the foundational material before us. This book has themes that are rich in our understanding of grace and living the Christian way of life. It has been about 12 years since our last focus on this book, on the book. We will do a chapter review on each chapter to remind us of the content. So we have covered all, we're almost done, so if you go all the way down in your notes to point number... Uh, the section is Paul's introduction, uh, Galatians, Galatians 1, 13 through 24, but we're in point number, oh, I guess it's 6, Galatians 1, 18. Uh, so we're going to pick up right from there, although just in review, I'll just read 17 just to keep up with where we were. And that's point number five. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to, into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. I did not go up to Jerusalem as point A. Paul mentions this because he had to pass by Jerusalem to get to Arabia. And he did not go consult with the other apostles. He makes that point in uh, verse 17. Point B from Jerusalem to Damascus is about 150 miles. So that would be uh, about a two-week trip by horse, uh, which Paul fell off his horse, so we know they had, uh, they, were, they had horses. Point C, 
after going to Arabia, he went back to Damascus. And so we're, the whole scenario here is about a three-year period that he gives us. After three years, I, he says, then I went to Jerusalem. But we got some, some more... Um, <coughs> okay, the then after three years comes in the next verse, 18. So point number six, we're moving right to that. Uh, Galatians 1.18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem... To <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, as soon as I try to talk, <clears throat> this is what happens. <clears throat> Hold on. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, a little over two weeks. So let's get some points on 18. Paul's mention of this is to confirm that he had divine authority, not apostolic authority. Now, why do I say this? I'm not saying that he wasn't an apostle. He was an apostle, but he wasn't one sent by the apostles. The word apostle means one sent, not like one penny. It means like one sent on a mission, okay? And so one who is sent but directly from God, not from men. So um, Paul did have apostolic authority, but not, he didn't get his authority from the other apostles. And he's making that point. I didn't see them. This message I got was from the Lord in three years and so forth, right? I thought that was appropriate as well uh, <clears throat> when I thought about this. Um, the disciples had opportunity to walk with Christ three years. And they learned from him, they saw his ways, and they understood, they saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles that were performed. So this, so Paul is saying, <clears throat> he spent three years total. He did not go see others, he did not compare information, he didn't get the doctrine of the mystery from Peter or James or all these other ones that were out there. He came up with this terminology himself from the, what the Lord had given him. So we ought to know that his authority, he is the 12th apostle. I know the disciples uh, in Acts chapter 1 said, hey, by the way, uh, Judas left us and uh, we don't have a replacement for him. We need to pick a replacement. And they went through drawing and casting lots and so forth and the lot fell on Matthias. But, but, but he... That was their choice. But what we're seeing here is God's choice for the 12th apostle. So the three years, um, point B, <clears throat> we don't know how long Paul spent in Arabia. Between Arabia and Damascus, there was three years. So he went to Arabia. We, we do know when he went, he got to, back to Damascus, he did a lot of teaching and talking to, he went and he even went into the synagogues. We can read that in Acts. So he did a lot of teaching when he came back to Damascus. And he even went to Syria and did some more teaching, as we, we will come to find out later. But uh, just to note, he spent three years away from the apostles, which to me is quite 
astonishing. And we think about the three years that they spent with the Lord, and now God has given the Twelfth Apostle time. Time alone with him. Now, of course, I wouldn't say Jesus came down and spoke to Paul, but he did on the Damascus Road. But the Holy Spirit, I would say, took over the tutelage of the Apostle so that he could understand what it was that he was to go out and teach the churches. Would he even know? He was on the other side. He didn't intuitively know what to teach. How would he? He was a religious Pharisee, one who was acquainted with the teachings of the elders, one who was gifted in the knowledge and tradition of the elders, not one who is gifted in the knowledge of grace and dispensations and change and this new dispensation. He wasn't, he wasn't gifted at all in that area. He was now called, and, and I would say God used this three years, not only to hone Paul's understanding, but to go out and to establish himself not where others had taught, but he established churches in a lot of these areas. And that's one of the things that he brought when they got to Acts chapter, when we get to Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. It's one of the things that we saw was that Paul made uh, statements about how him and Barnabas, they went out and they established and they showed how the Gentiles responded to them and so forth. And that was weighty evidence of Paul's apostleship and his authority and the gospel that he, he preached. So it, 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 was, it was weighty evidence that was considered and brought up as evidence that the gospel is grace. Not, we're not going the Mosaic Law route. So, so, so that three years... So, uh, but then point C, we're in our notes still. After three years, um, <clears throat> he got acquainted with Cephas. Cephas was just another name for Peter. It seems they had plenty of names back there, you know, Paul. So <laughs> they had surnames and all these other names. But, the, but Cephas was a name for Peter. So imagine that a former Pharisee and fishermen, right? They just think about that for a second. The, here are two couldn't be more diverse backgrounds, and he stayed with Peter two weeks. You know what? I would have loved to have been there to hear their conversations. That would have been interesting, especially in the light of understanding how Peter understood and got that vision of, uh, you know, the, the sheet. and You think Peter would have related that to Paul? I'm sure he would have. You know, this, I'm sure the conversation would have gone in the proper uh, way because Paul was there, Barnabas was there, and I knew what they were for. And so just understanding Paul's message and, and how he angered the Jews. And, and he taught two things that angered the Jews. One was, that Jesus was the Christ. Well, some of them in the synagogues did not believe that. So that would already be a point of contention. And then the other point was, hey, we're in a new dispensation. And this new dispensation, we're not under the Mosaic law. 
and Gentiles can be saved. Jews can be saved. The law has nothing to do with your salvation. Just believe in Christ. It's grace. And it's always been grace. That message would also cause contention and anger as he went out and preached. Just think about it. Those two things are what, what are, are on us to go out into the world. We got to tell people that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, that he's the Savior, and that you can put your trust in him and all that, the bad news, the good news. That's part of it. But not only that, but then we have to help them orient to, once they do believe in Christ, that they're not under the law, that we're in this new age, this unique age, where God is calling out those many sons and daughters into glory. That's what we need to make sure we understand. That as we go out, we're doing the same thing. So his experience would, would certainly be agreeable to us. But I'd be curious to hear how those conversations went in those two weeks. What could they have talked about? <clears throat> that was the point I'm making here. Imagine that, right? These men could not have much in common except for Jesus now, <clears throat> this is interesting when I read Acts 9, 26 through 31. Let's go there. Let's take a look at that. See what that adds to what we're talking about here. Acts chapter 9, 26 through 31 says, says, when he came to Jerusalem, he now this is, now watch this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. <laughs> Can you believe that? Verse 26, he wanted to join them, but they weren't willing. So we're talking about a point in time when Paul did finally go to Jerusalem, but this is not the time necessarily where it says he met Peter. But this time, this is what, even, even the time when he did, I'm sure there would have been trepidation for people who had to encounter this man. This was the reports from him were already preceding him. When before he even got to Damascus to round up believers, people already knew, hey, this guy's coming. He's coming. So let's look at the narrative here. So when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He took, I'm sorry, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and, had, and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So now, notice this is after three years, right? Paul says, then I went up to Jerusalem and that's when I met Peter and so forth. So he, he stayed with them, and but it took Barnabas to sort of break the ice because they I'm sure when Paul got up there the believers kind of scattered some of them were like I'm not going to that Bible class where Paul's teaching no I'm gonna no that's okay I won't go because they were afraid rightfully so I understand but they had to so Barnabas sort of broke the ice for for Saul he stayed there and then verse 28 and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Now notice, he wasn't just quiet and reserved. He didn't go to the chief priests. Because really, remember, he had orders 
from the chief priests and the, 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 the leaders there in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, round up Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem, and have them prosecuted. That was his order. And yet, he didn't go to there. He didn't, when he did meet with the believers, they were afraid of him. And so here he is, this is what he did. He stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. <laughs> so just notice how uh, the attitude of them was. The attitude is, he's a traitor, and he, we, we're, we should kill him. They saw him as a traitor. So when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Uh, then in the church, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. I think I'll make a point later to, to, to say that uh, when you read Acts, it sort of reads like a narrative of, oh, so this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. But really, it's a period of time, and we'll get to that, that passes. You know, and so what we have is not just like blow-by-blow blow action. Not in, ev some, in some stories we do, but not in the whole narrative. It can jump for years. And that's what we're going to see as we let this develop. So that was point C, right? Um, <clears throat> after three years, he got acquainted with Cephas Peter. Imagine that, a former Pharisee and fisherman meeting together for two years. These men could have not much in common except for Jesus. That was the only thing that they had in common. They had both spent three years and Paul, under the tutelage of the Spirit of Truth, who is teaching him the mind of Christ. And Christ um, could actually met Paul on the road to Damascus. So Paul saw the resurrected Christ. Point D, by the time Paul met with the other apostles, he was sure of his revelation. Uh, so to me, the three years that Paul took, and we can read that in Ephesians 3, uh, two through six. So we're, as we, as I said, we're talking over a period of over many years. But Ephesians 3, two through six says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed, notice, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles. <laughs> so it wasn't just him that was revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Prophets speak the word of God, the message of God. But this message is new. It was not revealed, not made known to people in other generations. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The promise in Christ Jesus is the baptism of the Spirit, which unites us into one body and 
and so forth. So that thought, <clears throat> Paul knew this understanding. In fact, when you read um, uh, here in verse 3, he says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. So he has already been teaching this information where he went to the churches and he was, a letting, he was allowing, letting them know this new age. So it's not just about salvation, but it's about this new age. That's, that was prominent in Paul's teaching, which does, it does not include the Mosaic Law, which angered the Jews in a dramatic way. So that's one of the things to understand. Paul had three years apart from the other apostles. He did not get his authority from them. He got it directly from God, just as they did. I like what Jesus said to the other apostles. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. So that was um, John 14, where Jesus told him that. Literally, he was putting himself on the level of the word of God. He says, hey, I know you, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, if I ever said that to you, watch out. That's wrong, that's false. Because I'm not somebody who can put themselves on the level of scripture, the word of God. That's above me. I can't, I can't say that whatever I say is what, you know, obviously if I'm speaking the word of God, then you, it's not about me, I'm just a vessel, but it's about the word of God that you believe and you put your faith in. Jesus said, believe me, believe me. So that, that's the authority that the, those apostles had and the authority that the apostle Paul had. We're moving on to Galatians 1 and 19. This is point number seven in our notes. Right? He says, uh, he said, he saw, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So uh, even though that's where the apostles were, apparently Paul hadn't met them all. You know, he hadn't met all the apostles. Um, but he, here he's telling you more directly. So point A, Paul was clear and exact about his meeting with the other apostles. This does, this does not say that Paul was above them, but he was one of them. That's how we have to understand it. Now, if I also were to throw a scripture in here, I would look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what, this is what comes to mind. And if you look at verse um, 5, okay, 5, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This is about Christ, the resurrected Christ, that is. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. This is 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, you can go ask them. They're still here, though some have fallen asleep. Some, some by this, 1 Corinthians was written over 20-some years later. Then, verse 7, he appeared to James, then also, uh, then to all the apostles, right? The last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So, so there it is. He appeared to the apostle Paul. 
For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, but I like what he says here in 10. Even though that's his attitude, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So there it is. I, I have to say that his introduction is just like the other apostles. They all saw the risen Christ. They all had specific instruction from God the Spirit. And, and so did the Apostle Paul. So he, many people, for Paul to say this in his writing, there must have been some criticism of him. And I'm sure there was. Let's keep reading. We'll get to it, I'm sure. So he wasn't above them. He was recognizing that he was one of them. And he had the humility to say, look, I persecuted the church. I, I probably don't even deserve to be called an apostle. But he said, you know what? God put me in this place. I'm going to do, I'm going to work hard to do what he called me to do. And that was important to him. Point B, this is 7B. Only James more of Paul's exactness. So if I go to 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 14 through 17, hold on, let's look at this one. 1, 14 through 17 says, this is the exactness of Paul. Now this is not related to the story here, but just, just watch how exact Paul is and how he checks himself even as he's speaking, watch. 14 through 17, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So none of you can say <clears throat> that you were baptized in my name. And then he says, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. So, so listen, he corrects himself. He makes the statement, but he says, but wait a minute, hold on. I did baptize uh, the household of Stephanas. I don't remember if I did baptize anybody else. I, you know, but he's, he's, there's a disclaimer in verse 16. Look at verse 17, because the point is, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. And people would look at him as like, wow, he's really something. Look at, look at him. He's such a great orator. And he, he has the greatest of techniques. No, it's not even about that, Paul is saying. It's, it's about the cross of Christ. That's who we're lifting up, not ourselves. In any case, notice how exact he is in the way he's seeing these things, how He's making this point, but he says, well, hold on. I don't want you guys to call me on this because I'm going to tell you straight. What if somebody said, wait a minute, he baptized the household of this other one. He'd have said, yeah, I might not have remembered that, but that was not the point. All right, that, that, that's the exactness of Paul. So he says, wait a minute, only James. He said, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's half-brothers. Now, James was not necessarily an apostle. Let's just put it that way. The Lord's half-brother. None of uh, the Lord's uh, brothers were uh, believers that we know of during Christ's lifetime, like the disciples were. 
they kind of like looked at him a little sideways. And maybe they were believers, but none of them were apostles. None of them were disciples. When we look at the 12 that were chosen in Luke, none of them, uh, the, the Lord's half-brother was there. And we got to watch James because there's already two James, two, two men whose names are James in the 12. But it's very clear which, who they are. It's James, son of this. And the other one says James, son of, of someone. So it is not confusing. But when he mentions James here, he mentions that he is the Lord's half-brother, which is very descriptive of who he's talking about. All right, so, he, so point C, James was a leader in the early church. He had influence, right? But it doesn't mean he was an apostle. So Acts 12, 17, let's look at that. There's a couple of uh, places where he's mentioned. Probably more than I'm going to bring out, but I'll just bring out a couple. 12, 17 says, um, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord brought him out of prison. And this is what he said when he did get out of prison. Remember, this was the story, the miraculous story of how Peter got out of prison. So Peter says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. He's talking about James. And then 15, 13 through 19 is, an, is another passage I want to bring to your attention. 15, 13 through 19, when they finished James spoke up. Now, what are we talking about here in Acts 15? We're talking about the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council is where they all, all the church leaders, the apostles, all these people came together. And uh, even the, some who were part of the group of the Pharisees, as we, if we read earlier, you will see they all came together and they were hashing out the direction of the church and we know the direction of the church is that we're not under the law we're not under the you know mosaic uh, restrictions <clears throat> anyway so 13 when they finished James spoke up brothers he said listen to me Simon has described to us how God first interve intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles this is James now the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. Uh, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who, hear the, hear, who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things? Uh, so James is pulling from an Old Testament passage that he is saying, look, we, we can't deny the Gentiles. And he's even citing a passage in the Old Testament where the Gentiles will come. But notice there will still be Gentiles. So this passage wasn't actually in the context of where Paul was teaching, but it is an accurate representation of what happened at the Jerusalem Council. So that's how we, we understand that. And uh, it talks about later, um, 
as, uh, as I was just recently talking to somebody about this, in 1519, this is my judgment that, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them and telling them to abstain from polluted from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat strangled, uh, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So this, those things that are mentioned here were hot buttons for the Jews at that time, right? And and how there was conflict among the Gentiles and Jews. So they said, if they're coming, these are things that are you know hot buttons: meat offered to idols. Uh, sexual immorality, which was the how they worship God, the Gentiles, which is they worship sexuality, basically, what they what they worshipped. They were saying, no, we can't have that, and from they needed to abstain from the food polluted by idols. Now, this is what happened, but it doesn't necessarily mean this is true. Okay. So we understand that the new dispensation changed and uh, there were those who were still stuck in the, in, in the old dispensation. What we're seeing here is them working it out amongst themselves. And so that's how, how we should look at this. Um, so point D, the Lord's brother. We know it was the Lord's half-brother. <laughs> this is point D in our note, 7D. We know it was the Lord's half-brother. He was not one of the two Jameses mentioned as apostles, but was well known to the church. Um, Acts one thirteen is is one of the scriptures I have there. Let's look at it. Acts one thirteen says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to to the room where they were staying. There present with them were Peter, James, John, right? Uh, Peter. What, let's see. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. And notice James, son of Alphaeus. So I was only putting putting the whole point together that there were two Jameses already in the apostles who are here in Acts 1.13 listed. He's telling you all the ones who were there, two of them already have the name of James, just so you know. Uh, okay, so that was point number seven. Point number seven. Moving forward, let's keep going to point number eight in our notes. Galatians 1, 20 and 21. We're going to be aggressive here and take two verses. And these are the two verses. I assure you before God uh, that what I am writing you is no lie. He says, then I went to Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, Cilicia is the way you pronounce that. <clears throat> so, uh, so here's verse 20 and 21, pretty short verses. Let's see if we can just talk about them. Point A, Paul continues to insist that what he is writing is accurate. And he's very clear on this. Why? So there's, there must have been accusations that his gospel was an aberration. Uh, let's look at a couple scriptures in this regard. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13 is the first 
thought. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13. He says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to those, to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Wow. So Paul just is coming off a, uh, a period where he is boasting. He's boasting about his weaknesses. Uh, even in the last phrase, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm strong because Christ is in me, for Christ's sake, right? So he's saying the super apostles were boasting about other things. They were probably boasting about how many people they baptized and how great they were and how great an orator and speaker they were. And the, the Corinthians were impressed with the super apostles. And Paul was, he's the one that established the church there in Corinth. So he's saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? Not only that, they probably spoke against the apostle and said that, uh, well, they tried to say he was taking their money, that he was using them, and all this other stuff. And I'm sure they talked about his message. So these super apostles, we're not sure who they are, but I can tell you that they are not the other apostles, the genuine apostles. They are those who had the Corinthians' attention, and the Corinthians were subservient to them as though, as though they were somehow apostles. So Paul puts super apostles on there. So then he goes on to say in verse 12, he says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. So notice there are marks or signs of a true apostle. And what are they? Including signs, wonders, and miracles. Now that's interesting to me that the apostles were endowed with this, these types of signs so that people would say to them or about them the same things they would have said about Jesus, like with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, I know, we know, you are come from God, or you are from God, because no one can do the things that you have done except God is with them. I'm paraphrasing. But the idea here is the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. What do they show? The direction of God. Remember, the foundation of the church is built on the apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ is a chief cornerstone. That's the foundation of the church. And why do we say apostles, prophets? Because these are the ones who have laid down the revelation from the spirit of truth, from the mind of Christ. They are the ones who, and Christ is a chief cornerstone, but these people, these communication, the apostles laid it down and demonstrated that God was speaking through them. So this brings, brings us to uh, the Hebrews. Uh, I know this is not in the notes per se, but it is the classic verse when we talk about such things. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. He says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by the gifts 
and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So we have this understanding to know the direction of God. So if you want to know, should we have kept the Mosaic Law? Should we have not shifted the dispensation from the church, uh, from the Mosaic Law to the church? And the answer is, follow the signs, the wonders, and the, and the miracles. It followed the true apostles. And that's what Paul says, that the signs of an apostle are here. Let me show you what they are. And so also there's uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.1. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9.1 says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Now listen, this is another one. Have I not seen our Jesus, our Lord? So this looks to be another sign of an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? In other words, he's saying here, obviously I'm defending my apostleship here. Are you not the result? In other words, what would an apostle do? Go out, preach the word, establish churches, right? These are things that apostles, they're in the foundation of the church. So what would they do? They would go out and they would establish churches. And boy, did Paul do that. He had ample evidence of his apostleship. So why should people complain and you know, try to say that he was not a true apostle, you know, cause him to be disparaged among the people, uh, gossiping about him, and all this was to get people to not listen to the apostle Paul because they hated him. So, um, so where are we here? We're in point number eight, and I think we just read, um, let's see. So point A was Paul continues to insist that he, what he was saying was accurate. Point B, or we could say, or his ministry was a, a, a ruse to entrap unsuspecting believers. So there are two possibilities, right? People were saying that Paul's ministry was an aberration. That's one. And the second one is in B, where people thought that, hey, maybe this guy's coming to entrap us. And we already read that in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at it. 9, 13, and 14. The Lord, this is where Ananias, who was dispatched to go, this is what he said. Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So this is, Ananias is telling the Lord this. He's not telling Paul this, he's, or Saul. He's telling the Lord this information about how, you know, this, this could be a ruse. This could be just, you know, Paul coming here to, to play the role of a believer just to entrap people, right? This is what they thought. And I just read you the other scripture where he, when he did go to Jerusalem, many people were afraid of him and were they probably ran and hid and said, oh no, he's coming to get us. That's just a trick, a trick. Don't, don't allow it to, uh, don't, don't fall for that. So point C, point C, when it comes to God 
in our understanding, we must have humility expressed in intellectual honesty. So what do I mean by this? Um, you know, because we could think that, you know, how could we be deceived today by somebody just trying to entrap us? Or, Well, what we do need to have is, is a humility before God. That's where the Holy Spirit is firmly in control. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Luke 9, 46 through 48. Let's <clears throat> see why I put this one in. Luke 9, 46 through 48. <clears throat> An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. <clears throat> For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So when we think about it, thinking about the super apostles and their accusations against Paul and all the things that they were saying, <clears throat> they had a problem. The disciples themselves had a problem. Look, in verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can you imagine that? They had already chalked it all up and said, who was the greatest among them? And here they are, disciples. They're not even understanding of the new dispensation that is about to come. And even if there was no new dispensation to come, they shouldn't have had this attitude, this competitive spirit that was in them. So Jesus had to show them. And this was not just one time. There were several times when Jesus had to interject and say, look, this is not how we do this. The Son of Man, I, I myself have not come to lord it over you, but to serve you. And they had a lot of understanding and learning to do here. So when we look at this, they were not honest when it came to, to this. They didn't have the understanding, so they couldn't be intellectually honest. And then we already know that 2 Timothy 3.16, we know what that says. Let's read it. We need this. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this, this is how... This is the most we can have. We can elevate the word above ourselves and recognize that we can be corrected, rebuked, or trained in righteousness from the word. And when we say the word, we also mean the meaning of the word, and that would include the spirit of truth. So we have to be intellectually honest when we're dealing with the Word of God and how whatever our understanding is, we have to be transparent. Like if we don't know something, then we can't make it up. The disciples were on the road making stuff up. This is how rumors get out about Paul. They probably said, yeah, he's coming to kill us. 
But we have to listen to what he says. And the question would be, are we willing to do that and allow the word to correct us? Being corrected or standing corrected takes humility. It took a lot of humility for the Apostle Paul to convert from what he was in Judaism. He wasn't just somebody who believed. He was somebody running in the wrong direction. He realized he was nothing, but he realized what he needed to do to, so that he could do God's will. Point D, we're going to conclude after this thought. Point D, Paul invokes God as his witness to these events. The fact that when we read in Romans 9, where Paul's, this is a common refrain of his, where he's saying these things, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying. In our text, right there in Galatians 1, uh, 20, he's saying the same thing. I am, this is not a lie. I am not lying. He, he's saying, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He's saying, people have said things about me and tried to corrupt my ministry. They, Yes, I've converted from being a Pharisee to now I am an apostle. Some people may not believe that, but listen, I'm telling you, I'm being exact. I'm telling you exactly. I'm being as transparent as I possibly can. So he, if you look at these passages where he says things like this, he is defending his ministry. 2 Corinthians 11, 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 10 and 11 says it this way. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. So he's making this point, uh, you know, to be clear about how, you know, intent he is on being honest. And then if you go all the way down to verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. He is open and honest with God. This is how we, God already knows our heart, but we ought to know that, and we ought to have the same agenda as he does. It's not just, well, God knows my heart, so that's why I'm going to be true. No, God knows my heart. Because I am on the same page as God is. I am for the Father's plan. That is what he is about. That's his agenda in the world. It is also my agenda, is what he's saying. God knows that. He knows I'm on board with what he's saying. And I'm not lying. So that could be the motivation that we have when we approach God. We're going to have to stop at this point. This is point D in our notes where we covered this. Uh, we'll finish uh, this next week, I'm sure. We'll, we should be able to be done with Galatians chapter 1. Let's bow our heads as we close as we're out of time. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this morning. And we've learned through watching you bring on board the 12th Apostle. We thank you for showing us uh, the diversity of thought that he had and the transition that he 
he was able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We thank you for the firm foundation on which we stand, and we are understanding that uh, we are in a new age, a new dispensation, and that we ourselves have to make choices, decisions. Uh, our minds have to be transformed so that we can understand not only our role, but this new age that is so unique before us. We thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for those who may hear these messages uh, going forward. All of this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.